Good morning. Glad you all made it out on Memorial Day weekend. I know we got a lot of family and friends and church brothers and sisters out and about, but we're here and um, I'm excited for what God's got for us this morning as we wrap up this series following Jesus. We've been walking through it for uh, six weeks. This is week number seven. We've been looking at three main passages known as commissions or commands. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to make your way to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28. We'll be in verse 18 through 20. We're also looking in Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 49. And finally in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And what we're doing is we're seeing Jesus commissioning, commanding the early followers and how they can take up His ministry, mission, and message into the world. And it's the same commission, the same command which we're given today as we go out into the world as followers of Jesus. Hence the title of the series, Following Jesus into the World. Uh, let's begin in Matthew chapter 28. Again, we're in verses 18 through 20. If you have your Bibles with you. And the word of the Lord says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And let's jump to Luke chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 44, and we'll read through verse 49 there. And the word of the Lord says, Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then finally in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And throughout this series, what we've been doing is developing a statement to kind of bring all these commissions, commandments together. And so we're going to get our full statement this morning, and this is what it would sound like. Following Jesus recognizes Jesus' authority over my life to take action for the sake of addition in my allegiance as I advise myself and others as an advocate of God through God-given ability. If you're one of those who's writing down, I can read that again for you so you don't get mad at me later. Following Jesus recognizes Jesus' authority over my life to take action for the sake of addition in my allegiance as I advise myself and others as an advocate of God through God-given ability. And what we're going to be focusing on this morning as we wrap up this series is this God-given ability which all followers of Jesus have been given and which the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts refer to as power. Now when I was a kid, there were three main toys and cartoons I loved to watch and play with. My number one toy and number one show I'd go to was G.I. Joe. You got to get tough, right? Come on guys. 
Yo, Joe. All right, you must have deprived childhood. G.I. Joe, number one, I'd go to. Then there was a cartoon show out that not many people remember or have heard of, and it was called Mask. It wasn't the movie Mask. You know, remember Mask with the helmets and they had the cool cars? Yeah, all right, we can hang out later. But Mask, I mean, that was one of my favorites. It, they, I don't know why, but they made them really small, so everything was easy to lose. But that was my other one of my favorites. And then there was He-Man. And if you're not familiar with He-Man, you really missed out. It was these big muscle guys that fought uh, muscle villains. Um, it really focused on this guy named Prince Adam. And Prince Adam lived in a land. Uh, he was the hero. He had some friends. And then there was the villain, the adversary, Skeletor. And the storyline was pretty weak because if you go back and watch any of the cartoons or any stories, the storyline was really based upon a property dispute. That's the whole story. They were always fighting over who would be the owner or the one who would reside in Castle Grayskull, and so they would go out about it. But every show, every cartoon would start off that Prince Adam, who could become He-Man, would be out with his buddies, out with his friends, you know, nothing like big muscle guys and women laying around having a picnic together. And then Skeletor and his villains, his, his henchmen would show up and they'd disrupt everything. But uh, to make things better, Prince Adam had a secret weapon, remember? He would take out his sword, he would put it up in the air, and he says, by the power of Grayskull, what? I have the power! And then He-Man would come, be transformed, this muscle guy, he would lose a lot of his clothing for some reason. Um, he had this kitty cat that was cowardly at the moment that he would point his sword at and transform him into battle cat and then he would show Skeletor and all his henchmen who had the power all resting upon this sword that he had. Um, now I loved He-Man, I loved the action figures and the weapons, but I grew up as a pastor's kid and so I could have He-Man, I could have the villains, but I could not have Skeletor because Skeletor was a demon-possessed sorcerer who had a skull for a face, and my mom says she didn't like that. And so I got Skunk Man. If you all ever play with He-Man, I had Skunk Man, and Skunk Man was the worst toy and worst villain ever created because the figure literally stunk and never lost its smell, um, but Skunk Man would always come and disrupt He-Man's picnics and, um, and battle it out. But Jesus, here he is, preparing to ascend into heaven, to sit at the right hand of the Father. And before he goes, he gives these commissions, which we walked through the last several weeks, and now it comes down to this power. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says, you are going to be clothed with power from on high. This is not a power the world can take, for, or take from you or a power the world can give you. This is a power from on high. The word clothed, there in Luke 24 verse 49 means that Jesus is telling his followers, those who have, are with him, when the Spirit comes upon them, that they're going to be fully immersed and covered in this power. The word power that we read in Luke and also in the, in the book of Acts is the English word that we uh, get the word dynamite for. So Jesus is saying, you're going to be clothed, you're going to be fully immersed in this explosive power when I go. And this is one thing about following Jesus, is following Jesus means we are given the ability of power. This last week we were, 
we had the blessing of having Sirius Radio come back alive on our car because we don't subscribe to it. If you do, man, it's awesome. But we don't. We get the freebies and we enjoy it for those two weeks we get it. And uh, Sirius has 90s on the 9. And so my kids had the headphones on and I, you know, went back to high school years. And as I was driving back from Sedalia because we're watching our parents' dog there on a mission trip and uh, Snap came on the radio and I was thinking about this power and if you don't know Snap I think that's the theme song for churches I've got the power you know the song now yeah and so I heard this like oh that's perfect maybe that should be our song or maybe as you go to your family's gatherings this afternoon or tomorrow with your friends you should walk in with your Bible like he man and put it up in the air and just oh the power and, and just let it be known you are there because you are clothed as a follower of Christ as a believer we are clothed in the power from on high. God has given us this ability. And I grew up in a Southern Baptist church with a Southern Baptist preacher who is my dad. And one thing that I can remember or not remember is a, a focus on the Holy Spirit power. I can remember stories and messages coming out of Acts 2. That's when the Spirit came at Pentecost. And we'll talk about that briefly for a second. But, and I can remember talking about the fruit of the Spirit and, and, and gifts of the Spirit, but I can't remember like a, a focus on this power in the church, in a Southern Baptist church. And, and part of that is because I think Southern Baptist churches kind of got scared of it, of what happened. But Jesus said this concerning our power in following Him. He says, it is to your advantage. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away, that I leave, that I ascend on high. For if I do not go away, the Helper meaning the Spirit and this power will not come. But if I go, I'm going to send Him to you. And when He comes, He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So Jesus tells us, as we're following Him, it is to your advantage that, in my advantage, that Jesus is not physically here with us right now, but that we have been given this power of the Spirit, whom the Bible says will be with you forever, and in John 14, 26 says, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything that I have said to you. This is the indwelling power of the Spirit of God inside of us that we have that I think sometimes we just don't tap into. But it's right there dwelling inside of us. And so we're going to kind of unleash some of that power by coming to the understanding of what is this Holy Spirit power? What is it doing? What is this ability? What is this advantage that we have in this world? That we can just pull it out every single time and no matter what the enemy brings at us, we can take it on because we have the power. Now the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is known as pneumatology. You don't, there's not going to be a quiz later, so you don't need to, to remember that. But it is important to understand why maybe Southern Baptist churches and some other churches, I know we have people who come from different denominations that gather here, why maybe we haven't focused on the power. See, a little history lesson, 18th, 19th century, the church as a whole shied away from the Holy Spirit. And part of the reason they shied away from the Holy Spirit is because of what was going on inside the church and outside the church. Inside the church and outside the church, what was taking going on in the world and in the church is that people were going to a place of, of scholarly or, or, or uh, just mindful thinking. You know, they had to, they had to think it out and, and be able to figure it out. And, and so things had to be rational. And then there was also a thing called romanticism going on where things were emotional. 
And so if I couldn't rationally or scholarly think about it and, and capture it, and I couldn't emotionally know how to respond to it, then I'm just going to shy away from it because I don't fully understand it. So for uh, over a hundred years, the church began to shy away from the Holy Spirit. They didn't abandon the Holy Spirit, just recognize it was there. We just didn't know how to really define Him and what He was supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be doing with that. But in the early 20th century, what happened in America is what became known as the Pentecostal movement. And in the Pentecostal movement, it just exploded across America and into third world countries. And it really focused on these flamboyant worship services and, and these gifts of the Spirit. In particular, it focused on tongues and healings and miracles. And it led to Pentecostal denomination and, and eventually the Assembly of God. This movement of the Holy Spirit began to be attached to this Pentecostal movement. So this power and this advantage that Jesus Christ said all believers would have began to be attached to this denomination. So groups like Southern Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans began to shy away from them because they associated the Spirit and the movement of the Spirit into Pentecostal, which wasn't a bad thing. If you come from a Pentecostal background, that's, that's not a bad thing. Where the bad thing came out of that movement is it began that the spirit manifestation within the believer was the sign of salvation, which is not biblical. So there are some assemblies and Pentecostal churches that say if you're actually saved, then the sign of your salvation is that you have to speak in tongues, or you have to have some sort of miraculous healing or miraculous manifestation of the spirit at the moment of your salvation. But if you look through the, the book of Acts, you see, yes, the speaking of tongues happened at times, but it wasn't an every-time occurrence upon believers. And so to say that for you to be saved, there must be some, more, some sort of manifestation out of your life about the Spirit is true, but not to the point that it is the sign of your salvation. Jesus defines salvation as forgiveness and repentance. That's salvation. I repent of my sins and I seek forgiveness in Jesus Christ and I will be saved and I receive the Spirit. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to start manifest, manifesting the Spirit in a group gathering like this. And that's where the Pentecostal movement kind of went awry and why some denominations shied away from it and eventually shied away from the Holy Spirit. But Francis Chan wrote in his book, Forgotten God, that if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. And the degree to which this has happened is directly connected to the dissatisfaction most of us have felt with and in the church. And he goes on to write, he believes when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. And the church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. This is the power which we are going to tap into as Southern Baptists, but more importantly, as children of God. We're going to come to understanding what is Jesus talking about. And one thing about this power which Jesus is telling His disciples is going to come, so you have to wait in Jerusalem, it's going to be about a week and a half that is going to come, is this power, this ability is going to be an upgrade. When this Spirit comes upon them, they're going to be upgraded as believers. Now, when we come to salvation, the Bible says we immediately become a new creation in Christ. And we are given the Spirit. And the Bible says you will receive the Spirit, or the power when the Spirit has come upon you. There isn't an if. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, 
There isn't an if you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Now, how you're tapping into that Spirit, how you're tapping into that power, that's another conversation for another day. Because the Bible is very clear that we can quench the Spirit. Meaning we can live outside of God's will for our life. We can live in sin and we can quench the guidance, the direction, the conviction, the judgment, the leading of righteousness that the Spirit wants to do in our life. We can quench that. Basically, we can go to a light switch and we can turn that off. That's what we're doing with the Spirit. We're turning it off. We're blocking our ears. We're covering our eyes. We're not listening. We're not seeing. We're not following. But the beauty of this upgrade for us today is we live in this, this world is it's not like a computer or electronic upgrade. I mentioned we are, we're watching, we're dog-sitting, and so Jamie uh, it was getting ready for next year's school because it, school's going to come. I know we just got out, but it's coming. And so she's getting ready for next year, so she stayed home and focused on that, and I took Ethan and Abby, and we went up to grab the dog and, and come home. And so the kids wanted their little tablets and computers, and if, if you're opposed to tablets and computers, I, I'm for you in some sense, but... Don't you remember growing up and going on car trips in the family? And you just sit there and the only thing you could do is not get on your brother or sister's side of the seat. Or for me, you know, seat buckles, they were there, but they were like optional at that time. So you could like, you know, I had He-Man in the back window of the car playing and um, you can't do that anymore. And so I like electronics for our kids because they can put it on. We can do a four hour car trip and they watch a movie or play a game. And, but the night before, I had, to, I had to get out their electronics, and, and as soon as I opened up, they said, need an update. Now, I don't know about you, but when I turn on my computer or tablet or phone, it says I need an update, I almost shudder, because I don't know how long it's going to take, and what it's going to do, and what things are going to have to re-download so they work properly. And it took hours on, on wouldn't we go, Friday? Is that Friday? Thursday? Thursday, yeah. It was Thursday. So it took hours on Wednesday night just getting all their computer stuff ready to go so they could go in the car. That's not the upgrade that Jesus gives us. It is an immediate upgrade. Jesus says when we come and we accept Him, we, we come to repentance and forgiveness and accept Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and life, and the only way of the Father, we are immediately given this Spirit, immediately given this power that comes upon us. And this is one of our advantages that we have today concerning the first followers of Christ. They had to wait a week and a half when Jesus ascended, and they were like, oh, that's so awesome. They had to wait a week and a half before the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Now, in Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit came upon them, yes, one of the manifestations was the speaking of tongues or languages, but just as a side note, that word tongues and languages in Acts chapter 2 means audible or known languages. And the same thing is when it comes to tongues and languages, and it speaks about the spiritual gifts later in the Scriptures. It is not jibber-jabber or baby talk. That is not biblical speaking in tongues. That is something or someone masquerading as an angel of light. You must be aware of that. Speaking in tongues is a language that people can understand and someone else can interpret. And so when the Spirit came and they waited for that, they got this power, they, able, they had this ability, this upgrade to do something they were unable to do before. And this is what happens when I come to Christ. God invests in me and invests in you this power, this spiritual upgrade that I can do things I was not able to do before, all for the glory of God. It's not to put myself on display, but now God's glory and God's power can be seen coming out of me. The Bible says about this instantaneous 
spiritual gift and spiritual power. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we require, acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And speaking about this inheritance, in 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So this beauty of this upgrade that we're given, not only become a new creation in Christ, that all of our sins are completely wiped away before a holy God, but we're given this upgrade that's not like an electronic device that has a shelf life. It's not imperishable, meaning rust and things as well cannot destroy it. It's not, it's not defiled, it's undefiled. So the ways of this world and the passions of this world and the sin of this world cannot defile this upgrade and this inheritance we've been given. And it's also unfading, meaning that it's not like a new car you buy that it loses its value as time progresses or you just walk away with it. It's something that remains in value for God because it is the power of God resting in you. The Bible says we now become a temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning the power of God who created the heavens and the earth, who will judge every living being on this planet and whoever lives and whoever will live. The power of God now resides in me and I've been given access to the throne room of grace because I am sealed with God's power or with God's Spirit. This is the confession and conviction to which Paul writes in Romans that I am sure because of this power, because of what God has invested in me, because of what God has given to me all through Jesus Christ and my faith in Him and salvation through Him alone, I am sure, I am confident that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, I'm, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was saying a song that some of y'all know or grew up listening to. Paul came to the understanding, look, I am signed, sealed, delivered, what? I'm yours, and I am as mine. I belong to Him because He has signed me. He has signed my, my, my salvation. He has sealed my salvation in eternity. And He has delivered me from the wages and the cost of sin in my life. And I am yours and you are mine. I belong to you and this is the power. We also have this ability that we're given understanding. If you want to read more about the, God, uh, the Holy Spirit, in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16, is the longest recording of Jesus' uh, events in the upper room with His disciples. It's also His longest teachings in dealing with the Holy Spirit. And this is one thing He said there in John chapter 16. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come, and He will glorify Me. For He will take what is mine, and He's going to declare it to you. So this power is given us access to God, but it's also given us understanding of the things of God. Jesus said that this power is going to guide you into all truth. So if we're here today, and we go about our life, and one thing that we have a passion desire is, I just want to know more of the things of God. 
I want to understand His Word more. I want to understand His love more. I want to understand His power more. I want to understand who He is more. The beauty of this power, this ability that we've been given, is that's exactly what it's supposed to do. Every longing I have for God is because the Spirit's given it to me. But the beauty of that longing is the Spirit now is going to enable me to understand all truth, all things of God. That doesn't mean I'm going to be able to be able to put God in this bubble and I'm going to stand every aspect of God. I don't. You could study God your whole life. We kind of hit on this and not fully understand the magnitude of who He is and His glory and His holiness. But when I want to understand the things of God and the will of God and God, what are you doing in my life? You ever been there? The Bible says, when I turn to the Spirit who is God and dwelling inside me, with me, when I turn to the Spirit and rely upon the Spirit, the Spirit will guide me into all truth. All truth. But what we do instead is we do workarounds. We, we, we try to come up with our own plan. Instead of waiting and being still and being silent upon the Lord and upon the Spirit inside of us to guide us in all truth, sometimes we just want the answer today. We want clarity right now. We want to know, God, what are you doing right now? How in the world is this your will? How is this good? And so we do workarounds, and we start to make up our own plans. We start to turn to other things instead of waiting upon the Spirit to, to reveal God. And pastors do this too. So I was thinking about this power. One thing that God convicted me of and is, is that at times I can do my own workarounds. And instead of relying upon the Word of God and the truth of God and the Spirit resting inside me to guide me to all truth, sometimes I can turn to other individuals who have done just that. I turn to commentaries and, and, and Bible dictionaries and Bible books and all this stuff, and I gather all this information, and I'm not, I'm not spending time in this power and allowing this power just to lead me to all truth. The reality is, when I do that and when other pastors do that, we should not expect what happens when the Holy Spirit works. We should not expect conviction. We should not expect people to be led into righteousness. We should not expect people to turn from their sin. Why? Because if I'm not tapping into that power and relying upon that power, why should I expect that power to come out of me into God's people when they need God's power to change their lives? I shouldn't. And so that's not preaching, that's called poaching. That's when I steal other people's power manifestations and use them as my own. But here's the thing, if you have people in your life that are weighing upon your heart, you can take things that said from Sunday mornings or books you've read or devotionals. God can use that, that is power. But the power that rests in you is you first have to turn to the Word of God. I have to turn to this, and even though there's things in this that I don't fully understand, I know that God has given me everything I need for godliness. So if I turn to this, and I rely upon the Spirit instead of quenching the Spirit, asking for a quick remedy, and I rely upon this, I know by the Spirit of God and God, it's faithfulness that He is going to guide me into all truth so I can speak all truth 
in a loving way to the people that God has placed in my life. That's power. That's what the world needs to see. They need to see power, not parrots. People are just reciting stuff that they've heard or read or listened to. They need to see the power coming out of God's people's lives. And the beauty of it is God didn't just give preachers the power or deacons the power or elders the power. He gave his people, all his people, the power. The Bible says in 1 Peter that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what we need to understand before we leave this morning is why do people respond to the power out of God's people in such a strange and sometimes aggressive manner? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So this ability that I've been given, this power, says I belong to God now. And if we're children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God, then we're fellow heirs with Christ. And then Paul adds this by the Spirit that provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now read Romans chapter 8, end to 17. I wish Paul ended at that we are fellow heirs with Christ instead of adding that little tagline, instead of suffering with Christ. But the reality is that if I am invested by God with the power of God and the Spirit of God is inside me, the holiness of God is inside of me, I am the temple of the living God. I mean, I don't belong to this world anymore. God has already set me apart and He's continuing to set me apart by the Spirit's work in my life. Then what happens is I am going to suffer and be persecuted because of who I now belong to. I'm signed, sealed, delivered. I am His. And because I belong to Him and this world belongs to this world and the passions of this world and the sin of this world, it's like when I go out there, what happens when this power begins coming out of me, what's happening is the world's having an allergic reaction to me. I don't know if you have seasonal or food allergies. They're not fun at all. Twice a year, we've got to take Abby to go see a specialist because she has uh, seasonal allergies that causes asthma. And we had a big scare a couple years ago where she ended up in an emergency room in the hospital for several days. I mean, she turned blue. Her lips were purple. I mean, just if you're a parent, you know how scary that can be. We have a nephew who has been diagnosed as in the top percentile of the world's population, not just America, of the world's population with food allergies which when we go on vacation with, with Jamie's side of the family, it makes it very fun when it comes time to what we're going to cook for dinner and what we're going to have for dinner because you've got to look at every single ingredient. Why? Because if someone has a food allergy and eats that food, what happens? It's not good, is it? What happens with allergies, if I've been learning this with Abby, is our bodies see these allergies as like foreign invaders. And so the way God made our body is that our body would protect itself. That's the beauty of our bodies is, is it is, is self-protecting. 
And so these foreign invaders that the body sees as like aliens or, or something that doesn't belong, it begins to build up these, these, these counter-reactions to it. So whether it's food or seasonal, that's why we cough and sneeze and rub our eyes, because the body's trying to fight this thing that's causing a reaction that doesn't belong. This is what happens when we go out with the power of God inside of us, is we go out and the world doesn't understand it, and so they fight, they persecute, they cause suffering, they, they, they resist it. Because they don't feel like it belongs in their world. Because in their world, they're God. In their world, they're in charge. But as a follower of Christ, I've now confessed that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And so they're having this allergic reaction to us, which makes them at odds with us. But the Bible gives us this promise in keeping faithful to this power that this testing of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, because it may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of James says that we should count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We are empowered by God to belong to God, all while God continues to sanctify us or set us apart from this world to Himself. And the Bible gives us this promise, though sometimes it is uncomfortable in this world. That's because you don't belong here. The promise is that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The final thing I want to hit on this morning is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're given the ability of freedom. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So does this mean that I'm now free to sin? Well, you can read through Romans and, and Paul's writings, and his response to that question is absolutely not. What it means is this. By God's Spirit inside me, by this ability, this upgrade, this power, this understanding that I've been given, that I am free from the wrath of God that is due me. I'm free from the wrath of God. I no longer have to live as a child of God in the temple of the Holy Spirit, invested by God with this power. I no, have, no longer have to live with the fear of God's wrath that is due me because of the sin which God has revealed to me through His Word. The Bible says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation there, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 1, means to be eternally judged for hell. It means to a pronouncement of guilt that is due to the evidence. Our guilt is our sin and disobedience to the law of God. James says in chapter 2, verse 16, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, for white lies, that's one point. Fail at one point, you've become accountable to all of it. Meaning you've been placed under judgment, under condemnation. 
But the Bible says I'm no longer condemned if I'm in Christ Jesus. So my white lies, my big sins, little sins, I was guilty before God, but because of God's love through Jesus Christ, my faith in Him alone and now God's power inside of me, I'm clothed in God's power and the righteousness of Christ. I'm no longer condemned or judged as guilty before a holy God. So it's His freedom that now allows me not to live as a worry of, am I going to lose my salvation? You know, if I'm bad this day, is God going to like kick me out of heaven? I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about messing up or doing something wrong or displeasing my Father. Instead, I live in this freedom of power and faith that I am now a pleasing aroma to the Holy God. If you don't know what a pleasing aroma is, then men, you can remind your wives as you go home today, roll up the car windows and give them an unpleasing aroma through passing of gas. And your wives will complain and bicker and say, why do you do that in the car? At least that's what mine does. Not, you don't sound like that, sweetie, though. Uh, but that was our sin to God. It was disgusting. It was a filthy rag. But now that I have come in salvation through Jesus Christ, I have been given the Spirit clothed in His righteousness, clothed in His power, and I am now a pleasing aroma to God. That's His freedom. But it goes even further because it's to impact my daily life. And I don't know if you've ever worked with, lived with, or been around someone that has been given the gift of scrutiny or belittling but it is not a fun or enjoyable atmosphere. Someone that has that gift where they can always bring something up negative that you did and always belittle who you are. Here's what this power does. I'm free, and in my freedom, I can know that the heavenly God, the Holy Father, who knows all good, all bad, He does not look upon me, Pastor Mike, the chief of sinners, He does not look upon me anymore in scrutiny, in ridicule, in belittlement, or even judgment. But because I've been clothed with the Spirit and the power of God, God now looks upon me in love, grace, and mercy. Wow! But it only comes if I have the Spirit. This is why the Bible says, God has not given us the Spirit of fear. I don't have to fear Him anymore but He's given me a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. That's what drives me. My mom taught me a song. Got a few, you all want to learn a song? Yeah, you've been sitting there long enough. I'm almost done, don't worry. Mom taught me a song. I want to teach you real quick. It came from the NIV, so it's a little bit different word. Uh, it goes from this verse, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us, for God has given us a spirit of power, of love, let me show you right. Power, love, self-control. But instead of self-control, it's sound mind. So here's the song. For, it's the easy part, right? For, where's God live? God has not given us spirit of fear, of power and of love, sound, sound mind. Maybe that's what you need to, to remind yourself when Satan comes to attack you. Make you feel like you're unworthy. Yeah, we're unworthy, but God has made us worthy. Yeah, we deserve condemnation, but God has given us righteousness and freedom and grace and mercy. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, 
love, sound, sound mind, self-control. That's what God has given you. Because God has loved you. And he loves me. And he loves everyone. That's what God wants to give everyone. And as we look at these commissions, we can sum them all up with one word. And that word is all. A-L-L. Go look at Matthew 28, Luke 24, and Acts chapter 1. And see how many times you see that word, all. I'll help you out, but you can do it later too. All authority. Jesus said all authority. All authority has been given to Jesus to call all to himself to be his followers who would be all in and going to all nations, teaching all things as witnesses in all power of God through the Holy Spirit under the promise He will be with us always until all things have come to completion. All. That's what following Jesus is. Jesus gave all for me and calls me to give all to Him. I don't know where you are this morning, but the Bible is clear that if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not saved. You're not. If you don't have something inside you that longs for God and to know God more and, and, and to, to hear God speaking to you, if you don't have anything inside of you that is, that is convicting you when you live outside of the will of God, when you live in sin, and, and you don't have that, that feeling that that's, that shouldn't be there, that it's not right, then you don't have the Spirit. Because the Spirit is what leads us to conviction, leads us to understanding of sin, and leads us to righteousness. That's what the Spirit's supposed to be doing in our lives. That doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. I don't. But when I did it wrong, the Spirit convicts me, and if I try to clog my ears, God gave me a helper in the Spirit, but He also gave me a helper in my wife. Because God loves me that much. He doesn't want to leave me there. But if you're here this morning, and you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. You're not sealed for salvation into eternity. And God has brought you here to this moment to change that, to move you out of condemnation into righteousness. The Bible says it's very simple. First, I have to come to a place where I admit that I'm a sinner. I do things wrong. I do things, I tell white lies. I have little and big sins in my life. I have things that I don't really want other people to know about. That's what the Bible calls sin. The Bible says we all sin. We all fall short of God's holiness, His glory. And that the cost of the wage of our sin is death. That word death there means eternal separation from God. That's condemnation. That's what we're due. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when I come to God and say, okay, God, I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't deserve anything but hell. But I believe that you love me so much you sent your only son to die for my sin, to take my condemnation, my wrath, my punishment. They placed him in the tomb and he rose three days later that I could be completely forgiven. Me given your spirit. I believe you love me that much. Even though I may not believe every detail or how that plays out in my life, I believe that to be true. The Bible says when I believe in my heart, I have to confess it with my mouth. And I will be saved. And when I'm saved, sanctified, I'm transformed, I'm a new creation, and I'm 
invested by God with power. If you're here this morning, I'm not asking if you walked an aisle or prayed a prayer. I'm asking you, do you feel the Spirit speaking to you as you go about your life? Because this is part of the promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the Spirit of God. Is that you? If you're here, I, I don't know. Don't worry about what other people think. It's not between you and them. It's between you and Him. And if this isn't right, it doesn't matter what you try to do out here, it will never be right. Maybe here this morning and the Spirit's been convicting you because you already had that power, but you've been clogging ears, you've been quenching it. You need to come before the Father and you need to repent of that. Just tell God you're sorry. You can come and kneel before the Father, you can do it right where you are. Here's the beauty of God. He's everywhere. Wherever you are this morning, I believe it's time that we as God's people begin turning to the Spirit of God with power! God wants to unleash it upon our lives and our families, our relationships, and this community. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this power that you've given us, Lord, to do all things pertaining to godliness and life. Father, forgive us those times we've quenched it. Forgive us those times we haven't waited upon your Spirit to lead us into all truth. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning who are struggling, who are going through difficult times, who want to know the truth and your will and, and, and what you're doing. Father, your spirit and your power that is in us, that is to our advantage, would just awaken them, awaken their hearts and their minds and their eyes and their ears to see what you're doing and how you're working. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who are not your children, who do not have your spirit. Father, in this time, this moment, that they, they would just say, I'm going to get this one thing right. If I don't have anything else right in life, I'm going to get this one thing right. And Father, they would let it be known that they, they understand their sinner. They understood what you did to take away their sin. And Father, they would have the courage to come and confess that now. We as your children, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we repent for those times that we have shut your spirit off like a light switch. Lord, forgive us for thinking we have that power. But Lord, your word says it is power from on high. So unleash your power here this morning. Unleash your power in our lives. Unleash your power in our family. Unleash your power in Harvest Hill. Unleash your power in Stratford. Lord, not for the glory of anybody here or any church in this community, Lord, but for your glory, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, that our neighbors and families and friends would be saved. We pray this not in our own power because we don't have the ability to do it, Lord, but by your power rose Christ from the dead. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stay as we sing. I invite you to respond now.